Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, updates on previous stories, including those involving Ravi Zacharias and John MacArthur. We'll also have a story about a nonprofit organization that provides alternative funding sources for African-American churches. And the latest in our ongoing Shining Light series. This week, a Denver, Colorado ministry with ties to Southeast Asia. We begin today with a couple of stories about the COVID virus that concerns Christian ministries. The first is an update on the September 26th White House event that is now being called a super spreader event. Yeah, at least a dozen people, including now we know President Trump himself, have tested positive after attending that September 26th Rose Garden event to present Judge Amy Coney Barrett as Trump's Supreme Court nominee. Pastor Greg Laurie is one of those who was at the event and who has since tested positive. Others include Senator Mike Lee. Lee was seen prominently on camera talking with the president of Alliance Defending Freedom, Michael Ferris. Ferris later announced on social media that he had been tested and he was negative for the virus. The Rose Garden event was also attended by members of Trump's Evangelical Advisory Board and other faith leaders. They include Jack Graham, who's the pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church in Texas, the Faith and Freedom Coalition founder, Ralph Reed, and Franklin Graham, son of the famed evangelist Billy Graham and the head now of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Associated. They were all spotted at the event. Also there was Paula White, who is the head of the White House Faith and Opportunity Initiative. So far, none of those people have tested positive. And I understand that other ministry leaders not associated with this event are also turning up positive for the coronavirus. Yeah, one example would be John Hagee, who is the head of Christians United for Israel, and he's also one of President Donald Trump's unofficial evangelical advisors. He tested positive for COVID-19. Now, again, he was not at uh, that uh, Rose Garden event that we mentioned a couple of moments ago, but his son, Matt, who made the announcement to the church, said that Hagee did attend a White House event on September 15th, about 10 days uh, before his COVID-19. COVID-19 diagnosis. And in Northern California's Shasta County, another COVID outbreak has uh, been tied to Christian ministry as well. Yeah, that's right. A a recent COVID-19 outbreak uh, there uh, has been attributed to the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in the town of Redding, California. 123 COVID-19 cases in the past two weeks have been linked to the school. About 80 other cases have been attributed to a rehab city in Redding. Um, Bethel had canceled its outdoor service this past weekend, uh, in part because of this outbreak, and it's also already canceled its October 11th service. And starting this week, the School for Supernatural Ministry is switching switching to online only. Now, it's causing, though, particular tension because with the cases surging, largely because of the Bethel School of Ministry, Shasta County, the entire county, will have to go through tighter COVID-19 restrictions for businesses. And that's 
going to cost a lot of people a lot of money. And some of the locals are blaming this Christian ministry for their troubles. Well, since we're already in California, might as well go down the coast and talk about John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Community Church in Los Angeles. He's uh, doubling down by urging Christians to sign a petition asking pastors to open their churches. Yeah, MacArthur is in the throes of his own legal battle with L.A. County after continuing to hold indoor worship services in defiance of that county's pandemic restrictions. Um, He also, though, this week released a four-minute video produced in collaboration with Liberty University's Falkirk Center. He released that video on his social media platform, and he said that the numbers, these are his words, do not warrant shutting down anything, but especially, absurdly, arbitrarily, churches who have a special protection from the Constitution. And, oh, at the same time, leaving open abortion clinics, strip clubs, and marijuana dispensaries. Again, these are John uh, MacArthur's words. It's obvious that this is targeted discrimination. Leftist and secular government officials have no tolerance for biblical Christianity, MacArthur said. So they're using COVID as an excuse to shut us down. But not all of the COVID news is quite so controversial, is it? <laughs> no, that's that's right. Uh, people are primed to offer their time and money to nonprofits once the COVID-19 pandemic is over. That according to a new study done by Civic Life Today and the Points of Light Foundation, which is an Atlanta-based organization that inspires, equips, and mobilizes people to volunteer for a variety of civic activities. How nonprofits choose to approach these individuals will determine success in marshalling their energies, at least according to the study. The study itself says that there's a lot of good news there, that um, voting is still at the top of the list for engagement activities. 72% of people said that they considered voting to be important, but the next closest form of civic engagement was donating to a nonprofit. About 54% of respondents said that that was important. Another 43% uh, had signed a petition during the past year, and 41% weighed a company's social positions on making a decision as to make a purchase or not. Uh, just more than a third, about 36%, said that they had participated in volunteer activities. But the pandemic has caused people to look at those priorities again. Voting still tops the list with 78%, but the uh, three quarters are now citing donating to nonprofits, and a like percentage, 73%, mentioned volunteering. Those are both significant increases over earlier surveys. Six in 10 said that contacting government leaders or advocacy groups to air their concerns had also risen in importance. Now, this is key. More than eight in 10 respondents, 82%, agree that once the pandemic is over, We all must get involved to rebuild our communities and our country. This trend is already manifesting itself. About 85% of nonprofit organizations reported increased volunteerism requests, more than double pre-pandemic levels. Well, Warren, we have to take a break, but when we return, new disclosures regarding Ravi Zacharias. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. 
Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Following new and credible accusations against Ravi Zacharias of sexual harassment, the Christian and Missionary Alliance is opening an investigation into the late apologist's behavior. Yeah, Ravi Zacharias, as uh, regular listeners to this program know, has been much in the news lately. He was a well-known apologist who died back in May at age 74 from cancer. Uh, World Magazine, though, is uh, now reporting that the denomination where Ravi Zacharias was an ordained minister, the denomination you just mentioned, Natasha, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, said that the new accusations have raised concern, and it is assessing additional steps to take in light of that new information. RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, has also said that it was going to investigate its late founder's behavior, and both RZIM and the CNMA had previously staunchly defended Ravi Zacharias against allegations. So this is kind of a movement for them, and um, I think it's largely a result of the work that uh, Christianity Today World and organizations like Ministry Watch and other news outlets have done in reporting uh, Ravi Zacharias's behavior. Well, up next, the story about immigration and the reaction of Christian groups that deal with immigrants. Yeah, a wide range of both conservative and liberal evangelical organizations have expressed concern over immigration limits that were recently announced by the Trump administration. Last week, the administration announced that the maximum number of refugees that it plans to admit to the United States in the coming year was going to be at a historic low, around 15,000. In the weeks leading up to the announcement, several evangelical groups uh, involved in refugee resettlement had asked the administration to raise that number to its past average, which was closer to 95,000. Warren, I understand one of the unusual aspects of this story is the fact that both liberal and conservative groups have come together to advocate for this higher immigration number. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I've been covering immigration stories, uh, Natasha, literally for decades, and often they break pretty clearly and pretty quickly into conservative versus liberal talking points. In other words, immigration has become a wedge issue in this country. However, a growing number of evangelicals, even those who identify as politically conservative, are having real concerns about our country's current immigration policy. People on both sides, in other words, are saying that it's pretty badly broken, and they're increasingly framing the conversation in biblical terms. So, for example, the statement that was released last week said this, As evangelicals, we believe in the God-given dignity of every person in every nation. 
We also believe God calls us to love the foreigner and the stranger. Today, that means loving the refugee in our country who has fled violence and persecution in their own country. So you can sort of hear echoes of biblical language all throughout that statement. Signatories to this statement, which uh, said that the group was deeply concerned about this low cap, include Walter Kim of the National Association of Evangelicals, Russell Moore of the Southern Baptist Convention, and lots of others. Uh, Jim Daly of Focus on the Family, Samuel Rodriguez of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Rick Ryan of the Convoy of Hope, and Ed Stetzer of the Wheaton College uh, Billy Graham Center have all sort of signed on to the key principles of the uh, Evangelical Immigration Table, which put this statement together. Russell Moore of the Southern Baptist Convention expressed his concerns this way. The drastic drop in refugee numbers should embarrass and dismay us. Our nation has a great tradition as a beacon of liberty to those fleeing for their lives from terror and tyranny. Persecuted Christians and others will be harmed by this closed door. Obviously, we cannot take in an unlimited number of refugees, but the dwindling number of those that we do take in is far below the level where America could and should be in leading the world in compassion for those in peril. As Christians, we should stand up for our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the persecuted church, and for our neighbors who are likewise in harm's way. Now, Warren, let's shift gears for an update on a story that we've been following for a few months now, and that's the story of James McDonald. Yeah, the latest on that story is that uh, the Chicago area bank, Republic Bank, has stopped its foreclosure proceedings against James McDonald and reinstated uh, McDonald's mortgage, about a $1.5 million mortgage on his uh, Elgin estate. Uh, the dismissal is significant uh, because it comes less than a month after McDonald had settled an arbitration case with Harvest Bible Chapel, and it appears to be that he's received a large payout as a result of that settlement. But Harvest won't tell us what went on. Though Harvest had promised to communicate about its arbitration with McDonald to the public and it certainly to its own members and not keep the matter, what they said, unnecessarily private, the church and McDonald signed a protective order, making the details of the agreement confidential. And as a result, it's not known how much money McDonald actually received in the settlement. In July, when Republic began foreclosure proceedings, McDonald owed nearly $948,000 on the five-and-a-half-bathroom, five-bedroom home that sits on 10 acres. Yeah, Harvest uh, Bible Chapel fired McDonald in February of last year, 2019, for engaging in conduct that was contrary and harmful to the best interests of the church. And in November of 2019, the church formally disqualified McDonald from ministry. Uh, the church has also conducted an audit and financial review, which concluded that McDonald had misused millions in church funds. Uh, according to Harvest, uh, McDonald's arbitration claim against the church primarily involved McDonald's termination and ownership of his former broadcast ministry called Walk in the Word. All right, well, we're going to take another break. And I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, up next, a fascinating story on how some banks are focusing on Black churches. Yeah, that's right. This story comes to us from our friends at the Christian Index, and it highlights how many predominantly Black churches struggle to get loans, even when their credit is excellent. Uh, But that's changing because uh, some nonprofit lenders, including One Big Foundation, are stepping in. And the story highlights Lewis Street Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah, now that congregation is interesting because it was firebombed in the midst of protest over the killing of George Floyd. And it was firebombed while the church was in the midst of about a $1.2 million uh, refurbishment of its 100-year-old facility. The renovation was completely ruined by that firebombing. The church's leaders were told that it was high risk and that the bank was just not uh, rendering loans to churches with small memberships. That church, by the way, has just barely over 100 members. So Lewis Street turned to the Solomon Foundation, a nonprofit church extension fund that helps churches with building projects. The foundation provided funds for Lewis Street's renovation. And since that firebombing of the Lewis Street building, the foundation has launched an initiative to help the church rebuild after the firebombing as well. Well, that is wonderful for Lewis Street, but what about other churches? Well, it's a great question. Uh, The Solomon Foundation, though, uh, has funded more than 1,400 churches over the last few years. It focuses mostly on black churches because they tend to have more problems, as I've said, with the traditional banking system. In fact, according to a 2017 study by Indiana University, black congregations are disproportionately represented in bankruptcy filings. They have fewer options to refinance and are more likely to fall victim to predatory lenders. And that is a great story. And you can read more about it by going to the Ministry Watch website. And another great story we have to close is the latest in our series of shining light stories. This one is on a Colorado ministry that serves refugees from Southeast Asia. That's right, Natasha. And, you know, I really like this story because it's a story that started small but has since become a very significant ministry. And it begins with an Air Force veteran, Jack Johnson, and he would go on short-term mission trips to the Thailand-Burma border to serve a Burmese ethnic group there. But he said he never expected some of those refugees to end up in his own backyard in Denver, Colorado. But that's exactly what happened. Johnson became passionate to meet the needs of some of these minority groups, and he would bring rice, sugar, and milk to the refugees and prayed for how maybe he could continue to serve them. That's when he was alerted that due to changes in the United Nations, waves of Burmese refugees were 
amazingly, arriving in his hometown of Denver. In response, Johnson founded what he's now calling the Colorado-Burma Roundtable Network, a refugee support group that seeks to provide relief, development, and life transformation. That all began back in 2007, when they just tried to meet the needs of a few of these refugees. Since then, the number of refugees from the Colorado Burma Roundtable Network has swollen into the thousands. The group also supports a woman in Thailand who cares for 10 Burmese orphans there. Wow. And you said that this all began with just a short-term mission trip? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Today, the Colorado-Burma Roundtable Network provides basic personal needs such as clothing, food, and financial assistance to families all throughout the Denver metro area. And what I love about this story is that it's a classic example of doing something locally right in your own backyard that has global implications. You know, there's an old saying, think globally, act locally. It's kind of a cliche, but in this case, it ended up being precisely true. But it also sounds like Jack Johnson and his team are pretty gifted. Is there something that an ordinary person with limited time and money can do? Well, yeah, you're right. I think Jack Johnson and some of the key people around him have tremendous vision and leadership and skill. But one of the things that I learned about this ministry is just how effectively it uses volunteers who really don't have much time or money to give. So here, a quick example, the ministry uses volunteers to take refugees to the doctor. Uh, They give driving lessons to some of the kids, English lessons. Uh, They take them to the store to buy food and kind of help them navigate through American grocery stores, which are very different from the markets that they're used to in Burma and Thailand. One volunteer has been hosting high school students in her home for the past few years. A total of seven students have lived with her so far. Most of these students have already graduated from high school. A couple of them are still living with her, and several of them have actually gone on to college. That is such a great story to close with. Thanks for sharing it. You bet it is. Though, as usual, we've just been able to touch the tip of the iceberg. To learn more, uh, go to the Ministry Watch website, and you'll find this story by our writer, Bethany Starin. It's right on the front page. Now, Warren, before we go, I know that you have a couple of updates about Ministry Watch for us. Yeah, I do. Um, Ministry Watch is slowly, I guess you could say, learning a new trick during this age of COVID, and that is the art of the online webinar. We did a webinar a couple of weeks ago about my new book, Faith-Based Fraud, and it was really well-received. If you attended that webinar, thanks for being a part of it. And you might also remember, if you were on that webinar, that I promised those in attendance that I would do another webinar in the near future on the topic of how to read a Form 990. Now, don't panic if that sounds a little technical. A Form 990 is nothing more than the form that every nonprofit ministry has to fill out every year. It's sort of like a tax return. It has a lot of helpful information on it, and we here at Ministry Watch look at them just about every single day. In fact, we think all donors should examine a ministry's Form 990 before that donor donates to that ministry. But a lot of donors have told me that they don't even know where to find the Form 990 or what to look for once they do find those forms. So that's what this webinar is going to be all about. It's going to be called How to Find and Read a Form 990. The webinar is going to take place on Wednesday, October 28th, so a couple of weeks from now, at 3 o'clock Eastern time in the afternoon. So mark your calendar now. That's October 28th at 3 o'clock, and we'll have information about how to sign up for the webinar on the ministry 
Watch website later today. Well, since you were just talking about faith-based fraud, you've got some news about that as well. I do. Uh, regular listeners, again, to this podcast know that throughout the month of September, we were offering the new book, my new book, Faith-Based Fraud, to anyone who made a donation to Ministry Watch. The demand was so great that we had to go into a second printing of that book, and we figured, well, since we had to go to a second printing, we'll just do enough for October as well. So if you missed getting the book in September, it's not too late. We ordered a couple extra hundred copies of the book, and uh, you can make a donation of any size, and and I'm serious about that. We've had some $1 donations, and we sent them a book with a smile. Uh, You can just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen Duberry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Bobby Ross, Bethany Starin, and Warren Smith. And we also received editorial assistance this week from our friends at The Christian Chronicler and The Nonprofit Times. I'm Natasha Smith in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. May God bless you. <laughs>